But what a sweet morning seeing those two young ladies publicly identify with Christ and publicly declare their faith in Christ. And we're going to hold them accountable. Amen? We're going to come alongside them and help them follow Jesus. Um, this morning's also bittersweet. We've been in Exodus for about a year and a half now, and we're bringing this series to a close. We'll begin John's Gospel next Sunday, but it's always, for me at least, bittersweet bringing a, a book to a close. But I'm thankful. And we'll do a lot of reviewing today as well. Um, Exodus 40, 34 to 38, the title of my sermon, The Lord's Glorious Presence. The Lord's Glorious Presence. Here's the, the big idea of our passage. The Lord, and, and you can also say this is the big idea of Exodus, the Lord rescues his people in order to dwell with them. And God's people said, Amen. The Lord rescues us to be with us. Um, funny enough, there's a common theme this morning in all my illustrations, and it's my wife. And she's not here today because she's at home taking care of sick kids. Our house has been slammed by this wicked stomach virus. So pray for my family, but I think we're coming out of it. Um, but I say that it's probably a good thing she's not here because if I mention her, uh, she always gets embarrassed. And so... She won't be here to be embarrassed. Who's married? Raise your hand. Yeah, amen. Marriage is a wonderful gift. We praise God for it. You know, when I married Haley, we've been married almost 13 years. When we became one, I got her presence. I got her presence. I get to be with her all the time, and I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful that I get to do life with her that I get to be with her. And, and husbands, I hope you feel that way about your brides. I mean, what a, what a joyous blessing that when we are covenanted to our wife in marriage, we now get their presence. Haley's my bride, and I am joined to her. And if you know the gospel, marriage is a picture of the gospel. What the gospel does, what God has accomplished for His church through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Through Christ... Through faith in Christ, we are joined to God. Amen? We get His forever presence. Now, the book of Exodus, and this will be helpful, the book of Exodus ends where it began. With what? Where did this book begin? On what note did it begin? It began, as it ends, with the glory of God. And not just that, but the glory of God descending. God taking the initiative to reveal himself in splendor to his people. Let me show you. Let's go back to Exodus 3. Exodus 3, I'm going to read verses 1 to 5 and then 7 and 8. Exodus 3, starting in verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him. I think we're all familiar with this story. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see... God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. 
take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. All right, let's go to verse 7. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I've come down. Did you hear that? I've come down. The glory of God comes down. I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land. All right, so let's go to Exodus 40. Exodus 40. Again, what frames Exodus is the glory of God, and it's the glory of God descending, the glory of God coming down. Exodus 40, 34 and 35. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. All right, this is going to be helpful. This will allow you and enable you to preach Exodus like I did last week with Isaiah. I preached Isaiah in a minute and 37. Actually, a student said, Chris, it was a minute 47. I was close. This will allow you to preach all of Exodus in about a minute and a half. Okay, if you get this, everything that happens between Exodus 3 and Exodus 40 is so that, here's the purpose, so that the Lord may physically and visibly dwell among his people in glory. That was the whole purpose of the tabernacle. That's the whole purpose of the Exodus, namely that the Lord might be with his, with his people. In fact, we can argue That is what the whole Bible is about. This is the major storyline of Scripture. As Rankin Wilburn notes, great name, the Bible is the grand story of God restoring, restoring our communion with Him. What was provided in Genesis and then lost in Genesis will be restored perfectly in Revelation, namely the Lord's presence. And how this is so is worked out between Genesis and Revelation. Wilburn continues, God's original intent is his final intent, that the people of God might dwell in the place of God, enjoying the presence of God. Now, listen, this is where Exodus ends, and this is where Exodus points. What we see in the final verses of our final chapter in Exodus, we see God dwelling with his people in the tabernacle. Now, the tabernacle functioned as a movable, or I guess we could call it a a portable temple, but it was headed somewhere. Where was the tabernacle headed? It was headed to the promised land, the place where the Lord planned to dwell with his people in fellowship. The journey to the promised land is alluded to throughout our passage, if you were listening, where it talks about their journeys and God's people setting out. Where are they headed? To the the promised land, God's place where he would dwell with his people. So Exodus ends on a climax, that climax being the presence of the Lord with his people. The glorious presence of the Lord was everything. We've asked this question before, would you want to go to heaven if Jesus was not there? It's not a trick question. It's an easy answer. The believer would say what? 
No, because what makes heaven heaven? We get to be with the Lord. It's his presence. Recall Moses' words to the Lord in Exodus 33.15. I know it's been a little while since we were back in Exodus 33, but listen. This is after the golden calf debacle. And Moses said to him, to the Lord, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For Moses, the presence of the Lord was everything. This was promised earlier on in Exodus 3.12. He said, but I will be with you. Everybody say, with you. Oh, aren't those two beautiful words, with you? Who said that? The Lord said to Moses and to God's people, I will be what? I'll be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I've sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Now, what was promised? What was promised in Exodus 29, verses 45 and 46, is finally coming to fruition. And what was promised in Exodus 29, 45 and 46? Listen, I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. Did you catch it? I will dwell. God says, I will dwell among the people of Israel and I will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them up out of the land of Egypt. Why? Why did he do that? Why did he rescue them? Keep reading. That, here's the purpose, that I might dwell among them. God rescues us to be with us. We get his presence. Amen? I am the Lord their God. And, and that's God's way of saying, I promised it. I'm the Lord. It's done. It, it's, it's as good as done. Um, if, if you've been paying attention, it's a year and a half. We've been in this book for a long time. God's glorious presence was to guide God's people. The Lord dictates the direction of his people by his glorious presence. Now, what does God's glory refer to? This is a massive theme. We've talked about it a ton in this study in Exodus. What does God's glory refer to? Not only is this a major theme in our passage, but it's a major theme, if not the major theme, the primary theme in Exodus. What have we learned about God's glory in our study in Exodus? I've distilled it down. This is a short definition. If you want to write it down, you can write it down. God's glory refers to God's revelation, the, the revealing of himself. So God's glory refers to God's revelation of God's power and character through his mighty acts. God's glory refers to God's revelation, the revealing of his power and his character through his what? His mighty acts. And these could be his judgment with the plagues or his rescue or his miracles. God acts on behalf of his people to reveal his power, his character, his glory. We could argue that his glory is tantamount to his presence, his revealed presence. His glory is seen or beheld in his awesome presence. God's glory is meant to evoke praise and worship. I've said it this way. God reveals his glory so that we might, what? Glorify him. God reveals his glory so that we might, what? Glorify him. What do we learn about God's glory in our passage? We're going to look at five things this morning, okay? Five things related to God's glory in Exodus 40, 34 to 38. Number one, his glory comes down. Oh, Oh, his glory comes down. That is so good. His glory 
comes down. He takes the initiative. It's a massive point, not just in our passage, but in the entire Bible. This downward movement, God's glory comes down. This downward movement is consistent throughout Scripture, and it speaks to God's nature. He takes the initiative. He is loving. He's relational. He's close. He comes to his own. He comes down to save. He comes down to bless. He comes down to act on behalf of his people. Oftentimes, he comes down to judge. Where do we see this in Scripture? Is it just in Exodus where we see God's glory coming down, God taking the initiative, God coming down to save, rescue, restore, judge? Is it just in Exodus? Say it in Spanish. No. Genesis 11.5 And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower. This is the Tower of Babel with the children of man had built. Now, he's coming down in what? He's coming down in judgment. Now, we've seen this especially in Exodus. Exodus 19.20 The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Exodus 34, verse 5. The Lord descended. Everybody say descended. What does that mean? It means he came down. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Now, we see it elsewhere in Scripture. Again, point number one, his glory comes down. We see it elsewhere in Scripture. 2 Samuel 22, verse 10. He bowed the heavens and came down. That is our Lord. He comes down. He comes to his people. He takes the initiative. That is so sweet. The text goes on to say, thick darkness was under his feet. John 3, let's go to the New Testament. John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world. We know this one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But keep reading verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The sending of the Son denotes what kind of movement? Where was the Son before the incarnation? Where was the Son before the virgin birth? In heaven. And he came down. Amen? His glory comes down. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 For the Lord himself will descend. He's coming down again. Amen? Oh, he's coming down again. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. All right, let me come back to Haley. When Haley and I first started dating, um, I was in Lufkin for a brief stint. Right when I got back from Cameroon, she was in Paris, Texas, working in dialysis. I always went to her, right? I mean, I, I traveled. If we were going to have a date, I'd go see her for dinner or something. I always took the initiative. I went to her. And I think I told you at our second date, I'm surprised I didn't scare her off. On our second date, we were in College Station at Chick-fil-A, and I sat across the table, and I said, Haley, deep breath. I'm committed to pursuing you toward marriage. What in the world? Did I really just say that? I, I thought it was over. I, I thought I'd boof that up. Thankfully, she said, okay, that's not it, though. I'm committed to being pursued by you. Yes! Another eight-piece, please! 
like a celebratory eight-piece after my 12-piece. The point is, I told Haley I was going to pursue her, and I did. I took the initiative. The Bible is a beautiful story. It's a true story. The Bible tells the story of God's relentless pursuit of his people. He takes the initiative. He comes to us. What grace, what love. The Lord coming down to be with his people is what the gospel is all about. This is why Jesus came. Recall Mark. This is subtle, but don't miss it. Mark 3.14. And Jesus appointed the twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him. Isn't that sweet? So that they might be with him. Number two. Let's keep moving. His glory is seen. So what, you may ask. So what? So what? His glory is seen? The Lord of all has been seen? He's made himself visible? He's revealed himself in time and space? Not just by what he's made, but through his presence. His glory is seen. The Lord appeals to our senses. His glory is to be beheld. Verse 38. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night. Here's the phrase I want us to catch. In the sight of all. Which means what? His glory was seen in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. What grace the Lord appeals to our senses. His glory is seen And what we learn in Scripture is that his glory transforms. He reveals his glory so that we might, what? Glorify him. Now, John, which we're going to be looking at next week. I'm excited. I hope you are as well. Come back for John's gospel. John, the beloved disciple of Jesus, emphasizes this point multiple times, both in his gospel and in his epistles, his letters. John 1.14, again, what is the second point? His glory is what? It's seen. Now, John 1.14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have, what's the Word? We've seen His glory. We've seen it. His glory's been seen. Oh, and then 1 John 1.1, I think I've preached 1 John more than any book in the Bible. I think four times to this day I've preached through 1 John. I love 1 John. But listen to 1 John 1. This is how John kicks it off, out the gate. John 1, 1 John 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This glory, when seen, transforms. It leads to worship on behalf of God's people. And we saw this back in Exodus 33. Do you recall? What happened in Exodus 33 when God's people beheld the glory of the Lord? They were transformed by it. Listen. Exodus 33, 9 and 10. When Moses entered the tent, this was a different tent, not the tabernacle, but a tent outside, outside of the camp. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, like God's glory. And the Lord would speak with Moses. 
And when all the people saw, when they saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up. I was going to say rise up, church, but you don't have to get up. All the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. So again, when they saw the glory of the Lord, they would rise up and what? And worship. Now we see this point in Paul's letters as well. Recall 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, stop. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. Ooh. Are being what? Transformed. Transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. All right, this is my last Haley illustration. Oh, she would kill me if she was here. No, she wouldn't. We've been married going on 13 years. I'll never forget, and I still have to go back and watch it, our wedding day, when she walked down the aisle. Oh, my goodness, guys. It was like, I mean, just tears shooting out of my face. I didn't know that was physically possible. And they were happy tears. I was so excited to see my beautiful bride coming towards me. I was praising God. I was crying, as I tell my kids, happy tears. I was affected. I was affected by her beauty. What I beheld, I'll never forget. What I beheld, it affected me, and it still does to this day. Amen? But that pales in light of the glory of God revealed in the face of Jesus Christ, that glory will continue to affect us for all of eternity. Where do we go to behold his glory? Where do we go, church? We're there right now. Where do we go? The Word. (laughs) Maybe you said church. Well, yeah, but at church, what do we preach? The Word. We can go to his glorious Word to behold our glorious King and be transformed by His glorious presence, made more and more into His glorious image. So let's go there. And we are there. Amen? Again, we can go to His glorious Word to behold our glorious King and be transformed more and more into His glorious image. So let's go. Let's go. Number three, His glory dwells. His glory dwells. His glory dwells. Verse 34, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. This is the goal. Okay, listen. This is the goal of God's rescue. This is where the story has been heading. Here we see the beginnings. Everybody say the beginnings. Okay, the beginnings of the restoration of Eden. God comes to dwell or reside with his people once again. He rescues them for this glorious purpose. His glory dwells. Again, John, the beloved disciple in his gospel, picks up on this same language in John 1.14. And the word became flesh and dwelt. Now, the Greek there literally means, and the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Isn't that cool? It's a reference back to the Exodus. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The greatest three words 
you'll ever hear are these. Are you ready? If I could do the, can't really do that. Um, God with us. God with us. And that is true. Listen, that is true for those of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ. Did you know Matthew's gospel? Who's read Matthew? Okay, Matthew's gospel is framed around this same theme, God with us. So in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, don't miss this. In Matthew 1, 23, we read, And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means what? Those three words, God with us. And then Matthew ends with the Great Commission promise. Matthew 28, 20, what does Jesus say? And I am with you always. Whoa! To the very end of the age. Remember, the Bible itself begins and ends on this same theme, the glorious theme of God's glorious presence dwelling with his people. Okay, that's how the Bible begins, God dwelling with his people, and that's how the Bible ends, God dwelling with his his people. Are you following me so far? Okay. We see it first where? Where is God dwelling with his people in Genesis? In the Garden of Eden. And we see it again in Revelation 21. And again, in order for this to happen, in order for, because I made the point earlier, so in Genesis, God is with his people. In Genesis, God's people are evicted out of God's presence because of the fall, because of sin. But at the end of Revelation, we see God being restored with his people, right? They get his, we, if you've trusted in Christ, we get his presence again. But how? What happens between Genesis 3 and Revelation 21? Jesus. Jesus. Christ had to come. Christ had to live a perfect life for us. Christ had to die for us. And Christ had to be raised for us. Only in Christ can God dwell with his people in his place once again. Amen? Only in Christ can God dwell with his people in his place once again. Do you know Jesus? Do you know him? Is he your king? Number four, his glory is to be revered. Revered. Listen to verse 35. In Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Not even Moses. Listen, did this surprise you? Moses? Not even Moses dared to enter the tabernacle once the glory cloud settled on it. As we saw last week, if you were here last week, as we saw last week with the detailed process of consecration to get the tabernacle ready for God's presence, the Lord cannot be approached cavalierly. It's true? He can't be. He must be feared. He must be obeyed. The proper response to the glory of God is fear, is awe, is reverence, a holy reverence before the Lord. Now, we've seen this throughout Exodus already. Again, point number four, his glory is to be revered. We are to be in awe of his glory. Amen? We're to be in awe, like, wow, there's nothing like it. We see in Exodus 20, 18 and 19. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled 
And they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Fear, reverence, awe in response to God's glorious presence. We see it in the New Testament as well. Recall Mark 4, 41. This is where Jesus stills the storm with his authoritative command. Stop! Be silent. And immediately, the storm stopped. Mark 4, 41. This is after Jesus does that in front of his disciples in the boat on the sea. And they were filled with great fear. They beheld God's glory and they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Well, we know the answer. It's God. It is essential that God's people, his redeemed, maintain awe and reverence before the Lord of all, the King of kings, Jesus Christ. Now, how does one grow in reverence and awe before Christ? How do we grow in our awe? By regularly gathering with the church and getting into the Word. Because the more we're in this book on our own and together, we're going to behold what? His glory. And His glory does what? It transforms. Transforms God's people. Last point. His glory guides. His glory guides. Verses 36 and 37. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taking up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. Who's calling the shots here, by the way? The Lord. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. The Lord leads his people, his glory guides. The Lord leads his people, his glory guides. The Lord was saying, Where I go, you go. Where I stay, you stay. This, now this is so good. Get this. This was the Lord's way of communicating his sovereign control over his people, namely his kingship. The final image, this is so important, the final image of our passage reveals the glorious kingship of God. He rules over his people by his what? By his word. And he guides them where he wants them to go, conquering their enemies on the way. Remember, this is going back, a little review. The tabernacle represented, right? The tabernacle represented the place where God ruled over his people by his, by his word. What was housed in the tabernacle, in the most holy place, in the ark? What was there? The ten what? commandments. And again, what that represented was this was the place where God rules over his people by his word. But again, the ark in the most holy place, that golden chest, it represented God's footstool, his throne, if you will, among his people. From this place of glory, God ruled over his people by his, by his word. He guides his people by his, by his word. How does the Lord guide his people? Say it with me, by his his word, his glorious word, his living word, his true word, the Bible. Brothers and sisters, committing to coming under the word of God with the people of God to be guided by the glory of God is our goal. That is our vocation as believers, to commit together, to come under the word 
together, to be ruled over together by the king together. Amen? Amen. Let me end with this final question. How does our passage, Exodus 40, 34 to 38, we've covered some massive passages. This is pretty short, right? But it's packed full of God's wonderful truth, a truth that transforms. So how do these verses that we end on point to Christ in the gospel. Let me make a few observations here. Before, listen, before the glory of the Lord, His glorious presence could inhabit the tabernacle, it had to first be, we saw this last week, cleansed, consecrated, and made what? Say it again. Made holy. Good. It had to be made holy. And what we learned back in Exodus 3 is wherever the Lord dwells is what? It's holy. Exodus 3, 5. This is back to the burning bush. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place on which you are standing is what? It's holy ground. Before the Lord can dwell with his people, we must first be made what? Holy. Now, are we naturally holy? That's the bad news. We're not holy. We are unholy. We're not fit for his presence. Somebody say, oh, no. I hoping a kid would just yell it out. That was your chance, kid. Before the Lord can dwell with us, we must first be made holy. We must be washed and consecrated. And this, this is what Christ does. And all God's people said, amen. And not only that, listen, but the people of Israel cannot yet, as we see in our passage, enjoy unhindered fellowship with the Lord as seen in Moses' inability to enter the tabernacle. Alexander notes, a barrier, a barrier still exists between God and the Israelites. That will be removed only when Christ Jesus is crucified. Recall Mark 15 38. What happens after Jesus dies on the cross for our sins? And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Only through Christ, namely faith in Christ, the one who died and rose again, can sinners, can sinners, raise your hand if you're a sinner. That's all of us. If you didn't raise your hand, you're a liar, but I still love you. Can sinners be forgiven and made holy and fit for the presence of God. Christ, Christ, Jesus is the only way. He's the only way for sinners like us to have forever fellowship with God. Exodus 40, 34 to 38, points to Christ and his work of rescue. The Lord rescues his people. Why? So that he might dwell with them. Amen? Oh, man! We get his presence for how long, church? forever. He came to be with us. He came to dwell with us. And he made a way, the only way, for that to be possible. Again, John 1.14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You know, not only is Jesus the true temple, the place of divine dwelling, but now so are we. Amen? So are we. We who have been joined to Christ by faith. Christ came, listen, Not simply to dwell among us, but to dwell in us. 
1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? 1 Corinthians 6.19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? If, everybody say if. If you've been joined to Jesus by faith, then God dwells in you by the Holy Spirit. He dwells in his church. We have the Spirit of God. Now finally, let me end with this. Again, we're asking the question, how does our passage point to Christ in the gospel? This is going to rock your world. We're going to end on a bang. I want to end with this image of God coming down. God's glory comes down. Amen? We see that. We see it in Exodus. We see it in Scripture. Now check this out. This language of God coming down immediately brings to our attention the incarnation. I want to look at two passages here. Okay, I want to start with Isaiah. Listen to Isaiah 64.1. Listen to this prayer from the prophet Isaiah. Are you familiar with Isaiah 64.1? Listen. Oh, man. Isaiah says, Oh, Everybody say, oh. Oh. That was good. Oh, that you would rend the heavens, open the heavens, and come down. The Greek word is schizomai. A schism is a, a tear, right? This is Hebrew, but if we're looking at the Septuagint, never mind. Rend the heavens, open the heavens, come down. What is Isaiah praying? He's saying, God, come down and save your people. Come down and be with us. There's, there's desperation in this plea on Isaiah's part. God, we need you. Come down. Save us. Restore us. Rescue us. That's the passion behind the plea. Get that. Then, oh, this is so good. Go to Mark 1. Mark 1. Yes, Mark 1, 9 and 10. What happens in Mark 1? Listen. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being schizomai. That's the Greek word. Torn open, rendered apart in the Spirit, descending on him like a dove. Oh, Jesus' baptism declares the fulfillment of Isaiah's prayer. God, come down, save your people. And at Jesus' baptism, the heavens are torn open. In the Spirit of God, God the Holy Spirit comes down, which means the day of rescue has come. Amen? Again, the story of Exodus, the story of God's glory on display through rescue points to an even greater rescue. The rescue accomplished by Jesus Christ. Amen? Again, Exodus is all about rescue. It is. God rescues his people, but it points to an even greater rescue, the rescue accomplished by the Son of God, Jesus Christ. The greatest display, we've been talking about God's glory this morning. We're almost done. Give me about a minute and a half. The greatest display of God's glory is seen in the gospel, namely the good news surrounding the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Have you beheld God's glory in the gospel? A glory that transforms. Have you looked? Have you looked to Jesus for rescue? You can do that today. You can do that today. You can pray with Isaiah in Isaiah 64.1. Lord, save me. Come down. And he has. 
He has. Jesus came. He lived a perfect life. He paid a debt we can't pay. God demands a perfect life because he's a perfectly holy God. And all of us have failed to live up to his holy standard. That is a problem. That is an eternal, monumental, massive problem. But Christ came and he lived a perfect life for us. And then he died because, again, listen, because we've not lived a perfect life, because all of us have sinned, what do we deserve? We deserve hell, God's punishment forever. And Jesus said, I got you. And he died for us, taking the punishment on the cross that we deserve. And then he rose again, which was him saying what? It worked. What I did worked. It was his glorious vindication. How should we respond to that? The Bible says repent. Turn from your sin. Turn from your disobedience. Turn from your disbelief and trust. Repent and trust. Put your faith, trust in Jesus that what he did is enough to save you. The gospel answers the questions posed by last week's text and this week's text, which is, how can a holy God dwell among an unholy people? Jesus, his cross. The Bible ends with Jesus, the glorious bridegroom being joined to his bride, the church, in forever fellowship. Will you be there? Will you be there? Again, we know the end of the story. The Bible ends with this glorious image of Jesus, the bridegroom, being joined forever with his bride, the church. Will you be there? Only. Everybody say only. Only if you trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for the past year and a half that we have been able to drink deep from this incredible book in your incredible book, the Bible. We thank you for Exodus. We thank you for what we've learned about you, O oh God, what we've learned about ourselves, and how this book has so clearly pointed to Jesus and the good news, his life, death, and resurrection, to save sinners. I pray that as a result of our time together in your word, that we would desire to know you more and to glorify you in all things, that we would desire to reach out more to those who are lost, that you've placed in our relational world, friends, family members, that we would be concerned about whether or not they can answer that question. Will they be there? Will they be there on that day with our Lord in glory? Only if they trust in Jesus. So, Father, give us boldness to go out from this place declaring the good news that Jesus is the way, that because he lived, died, and rose again, sinners like us can enjoy the forever presence of God We thank you for that good news. We celebrate it today, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.